Our reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. This is a lovely passage, and you might like to follow it in the Pew Bibles. It's on page 1187. passage is headed, Paul's longing to see the Thessalonians. This is God's word. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy, has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen. Let's continue in prayer for others. Let's pray. Psalm 146 or 147 says this. Praise the Lord. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Father God, we bring before you those families who mourn and grieve over the loss of family and friends after Monday night's bombing at the Manchester Arena. Lord, in their heartache, in their pain, draw near to them. Heal their broken hearts and bind up their wounds. Father, for those who are injured, Lord, be merciful to them. May those young and older heal well. Give the doctors and surgeons wisdom to know what is best. And Lord God, for those who are traumatized, who can't sleep, who are fearful, bring your peace to their minds and hearts, we pray. Lord, we thank you for those who've worked tirelessly to help and aid all affected by Monday night's events. 
those in the medical profession, those who serve to protect, those who acted out of kindness and love to strangers. And Lord, we pray for your common grace at this time to restrain, to help people act better than they could ever think or do. And Lord, we ask that your justice will be done. And we lift this city and its people before you this morning, praying, Lord, have mercy and heal the brokenhearted and bind up the wounded, we pray. Lord, we pray against the sustained attacks against Coptic Christians in Egypt. Lord, again, we be with those families who are mourning today because of the bus attack this week. Be gracious to them as they come to terms with what happened, not just this week, but in months past in their churches as they've been raided and bombed. Lord, restrain evil and destructive plans and people. And may the gospel of the Lord Jesus transform this land hearts and minds for the glory and honor of your name. Father, we pray for the family of this seven-month-old girl who died so tragically in Tipperary this week. We pray especially for her dad. Lord, only you can be his helper and refuge. Only you can take and protect his mind and heart from turmoil, from guilt and regret. Lord, as this family comes to terms with this loss, as the village come around to surround and support them, Lord, grant them your peace and love. And Father, we thank you today that we have so much to be thankful for. But Lord, we also have concerns and burdens. And in this moment of quiet, we want to thank you for those things that have been good and gifts from yourself. And we want to bring those burdens before you because you're the God who binds up the brokenhearted and heals their wounds. Lord, in this moment of silence, we bring our praise and our concerns to you. Father, we continue to pray for Frank and Claire as they come to the end part of their year as moderator. And Father, we pray for Frank, even in Dunleary this morning, that you'll equip him for the task of preaching your word, that you'll be with him over these next few weeks as he engages with other appointments and meetings. And we pray as he transitions back to the fellowship here at Bloomfield, that you'll bless Claire and Frank that you'll renew their vision and energy and love for the folk here, and that, Lord, you'll bless them as they return. Father, we thank you for those that you have been with this week who have gone through treatment, who've gone through operations, and we give you thanks, Lord. We pray and continue to pray for their recovery and that, Lord, we leave them in your hands, knowing that you are the Redeemer who lives and that in the end you will stand upon the earth. Lord, hear our prayers, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please turn with me uh, in a few Bible to page 1187. Page 1187. And there you'll find 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We've been working our way through the book of Thessalonians over these last number of weeks. And... Last week, we came into chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Today, we will be focusing on verses 6 to 13 to finish out the chapter. And so, as you're looking up those scripture passages, let me just pray for us and commit our time in God's word to him. 
Father God, we thank you that you have given us your spirit, and we just pray that your spirit would be at work in us and through us. Lord, help us to hear your word this morning. Help us to respond to it, and help us to glorify you by doing what it says we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you this question. What would it really mean for you to live? Would it mean more money in the bank? Would it mean a car that you could drive around with and people would say, wow, look at that? Or a beautiful home? Or a nice job? Or more children? What would it mean for you to really live? For Jack, it's stretching out on on a hammock. A cold drink in his hand and a gentle warm breeze passes through the palm branches nearby, a bit like Thursday here in Northern Ireland. And the blue ocean, well, we don't have much of that, but it shimmers under the rays of the sun. And Jack thinks to himself, this is really living. This is what it means to live. Or take Molly. She's going from shop to shop. The contactless card is so convenient. Snap, snap. She swipes it here, swipes it there. Then she decides to take her friends to lunch in a restaurant which only takes members only. Lunch turns into early evening, and as she returns home that night, she smiles and thinks, now this is living. This is what it means to really live. What about you? What would it mean for you to be really saying, this is life. This is what it really means to live. Because St. Paul here in this passage before you this morning in verses 6 to 8, and particularly verse 8, he says that he is really living. See it in verse 8. This is the life. This is living. Something has caused Paul to say this. Something has so moved him and engaged him that he is literally saying, now I am really living. So what is it that has Paul thinking and saying these things? We saw last week in chapter 2 and into chapter 3 that Paul's life and those of the converted um, believers in Thessalonica were so linked, so inextricably linked, that he felt in chapter 2, verse 17, he was torn away from them, that orphan feeling. He made every effort to see them. He was prevented from them. And when he could stand it no longer, he sent young Timothy to them to do two things, to strengthen them, encourage them, and seeing how they were doing in their faith. And as we come into chapter 3, verses 6 to 8 this morning, these verses capture Paul's reaction to the news of returning Timothy with about the faith of these folk. And he says there in verse 6, it was good news. Do you see it? Good news. Now we're really living because we have good news about you. And it's interesting with this little verse, if you do a little study on it, this is the only time in the New Testament that Paul uses this word, good news, and it is the same word that he uses for the good news of the gospel. So imagine the response, the reaction. He's thinking, these folk have come to know Christ. They've come to know the gospel. And then when he hears from Timothy, he uses the exact same word, and he says, this is good news, good news that I've heard from Timothy. You can feel the excitement, the intensity of it. He uses the same word for the gospel here in verse 6 to capture the good news of what Timothy has to share about these Christians. Timothy has alleviated Paul's concern that these believers may have been unsettled, that they might have been tempted to give up. But no, Timothy returns with good news, and Paul says, now I'm living. This is life. Again, Paul is like that mother and father figure who love these people so much that when he hears what, how they're doing, 
he responds, this is good news. But look at what Timothy reports back about in verses 6, the good news about their faith and love in verse 6. These are two foundational things or building blocks for Christianity and for the Christian. Faith is that trust, that dependence on God and his character and word. It is exercised daily in, in life. And here in this young church, they didn't stand still in their faith, but growing and putting their faith and trust in God despite suffering and trials. Earlier in chapter 1, we saw that faith and love were mentioned. Do you remember that? As trademarks of these Christians. Chapter 1, verse 3, their work produced by faith. Chapter 1, verse 8, their faith has become known everywhere. Love is one of the marks of them. And folks, the danger of these Christians, and even for ourselves today, is that faith and love can dwindle out of our Christian community and life. Instead of exercising faith, we can more rely on our own gifts our resources, our ability to get things done, and we fade out on exercising trust in God, faith, and we dwindle away from love as well. How easy it is to love other things more than God and others. And yet the gospel at work in people's lives looks like what it is displayed here in these folk in Thessalonica. Good news, brilliant news about their faith and their love. It's like a report card that Timothy almost brings back to Paul here, isn't it? Because he later says in verse 6, do you see it? That they had pleasant memories and longed to see them. What an encouragement for Paul when you take into consideration that there were those last week, remember, who were discrediting Paul and his message to the church here. And when Timothy comes back and he tells Paul, Paul, they have pleasant memories of you. These people haven't totally discredited you or your message, and they long to see you, Paul. And that is good news for Paul. And he says at the end of verse 7 that in spite of all their opposition, in spite of the persecution that Paul is going through, there is encouragement for him here because of these folk. I don't know about you, but if you've ever poured a lot of time into work project or a club or society or individuals, if you can then understand Paul's encouragement here, He's facing suffering and trials, and then he hears about those that he's poured his life into, those who were once idol worshippers, those who once turned to the living and true God, and he hears that they're doing great, that they're good news about their faith and love, and it encourages him. Have you ever had that with family or home group members, or even in the church, where you've seen people encourage you in how they have grown in their faith? When I worked with Christian unions in university and colleges, we had a team of relay workers who were volunteers who would get along, they were recent graduates, and they'd get alongside students in the Christian unions and the universities. And they would maybe read a book with them, study the Bible, pray together, and meet them regularly one-to-one. And many of the relay workers often discussed, sometimes with tears and sadness and heartbreak, of seeing Christian students go off the rails and away from their Christian faith while they were at university with all the temptations and pressures. But there were also those others who continued to grow in their Christian faith. And when the relay workers would come back, they would be delighted. They would take joy and encouragement in those students, seeing them grow in their faith, take risks for the gospel and sharing it with their friends. And that is the type of ministry and lifestyle that Paul had here. 
He invests in this church. He invests in these idol worshippers, telling them the gospel. And then he is abruptly taken away, but then he hears good news, and it encourages his heart and his life. This type of ministry is what Paul is exercising here. It is Christian ministry. It is all about, and it is not for only the privileged few. It is not for only full-time Christian workers or ministers or pastors. Imagine for a moment if you decided to invest as you do in your families as they grow up in the Christian faith. Investing in a few key relationships with accountability and seeking to encourage one another in faith and love then you would see some of this encouragement that Paul had in others. And Paul concludes this section, verses 6 to 8, by saying in verse 8, we are really living now because you are standing firm in the Lord Jesus. They were standing firm in the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 1, showed they were already in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that they had been given God's grace, brought into the family of God, And now Paul hears that they're continuing to stand firm in the Lord. They're not swayed back and forth like a ship on rough rough seas, but they are firm in the Lord by faith. Sometimes there is a belief, isn't there, and an expectation that progression in a Christian life is all about victory, that it's all about claiming things and powerful living. But Paul here in these Thessalonians these Christians, he rejoices in the fact that they were standing firm in the Lord Jesus, which is often the greatest task, the unsung thing when it comes to any of us walking by faith. There will be trials. We're destined for them. We're destined for suffering. But he says here, I am delighted that you are standing firm in the Lord. And maybe that is your prayer and our prayer today. Lord, help me to stand firm in you through this situation, through these good times, through these trials and uncertainty, help me to stand firm in you, to hold on by faith so that I can navigate this with your help, Lord. Is that your prayer for, the Lord, for your walk with the Lord today? Standing firm. Nobody's asking you to be a miraculous Christian. Nobody's asking you to be victorious in everything and anything. All that is required is a dependence on God trusting him, standing firm in the Lord. And this leads us to the next section, verses 9 and 10. All this good news from Timothy about the Thessalonians leads Paul to one thing, and that is found in verse 9. He is thankful to God. Do you see it? How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? The good news doesn't drive Paul It does a little bit to encourage them and say, it's great you're doing well. But what it ultimately does is drive Paul back to thank God for these Thessalonians. As Paul enters the presence of God in prayer, it is with joy because of how well these Christians are doing. It's the reminder this morning that whenever we hear of those standing firm, growing in faith and love, it should not make us focus on them, but rather return to God and say, praise you, thank you, God because he is the source, he is their life in doing this. Thanking God that he has rescued them, changed them, and continues to transform them. Because without God, as John's gospel says to us, apart from him, we can do nothing. Paul is thankful to God for them. Folks, I wonder this morning as we think about applying this passage, who can you give thanks to God for today? In your family, 
your friends, your church life? What signs of Christian maturity have you seen in people close to you that you can turn back in praise and thanksgiving to God? Perhaps that's an alien concept for us. Perhaps as you're struggling to think or notice this, you know, maybe I don't, I'm not like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what you're asking me. Can I encourage you to look again? To look again at your family, your friends, your church family here, and when you see growth or maturity or, or elements of faith and love, praise God. Bring it back to Him. Because God is at work in His people. He is enabling, keeping them, and willing them on to stand firm in Him and His Word. And this takes us to the final three verses of chapter 3 this morning. And here's where I want to spend the rest of our time together. Because this is an example of Paul's prayer, his content and life, and there's much for us to learn. I don't know about you, but do you struggle to pray? Do you wonder once sometimes, what do you pray for? Because Paul here gives us an example in these three verses, verses 10 to 13. And notice with me what he prays for and what he practiced with regard to for these Christians. He says in verse 10 and 11, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your life. Paul prays continually. Now, Paul had a job, and yet he was proclaiming the gospel. And so this must surely mean that he prayed night and day, that every occasion he got a moment to pray, whether it was short or long, he uses that. He prays continually in an attitude, in different occasions, with a variety of prayers. And he prayed earnestly. There's a certain seriousness and intentionality about Paul's prayer life and his prayer to God in verse 10. And he's very specific. He says, Lord, I want to see them again. Do you see it? Verse 10. This seeing them again was not so that they could have a look at the photos while they were in Thessalonica the last time together. Look at my pictures. Or an ease up or a bit of a mini reunion. No, it's not that. Paul's prayer is to see him again for a very specific purpose. Do you see it? To supply what is lacking in their faith. The word supply here means to complete what is lacking in their faith. Paul's short time in Thessalonica only lent itself to teaching them so much about the gospel and the Christian life. There were bound to be gaps in their understanding, their knowledge, and Christian faith. And we will see in chapters 4 and 5 as we continue in this book of Thessalonians that he begins to fill up, supply, complete, some of those gaps when he speaks about sexual conduct and behavior in chapter 4, when he speaks about what it means to live a holy life, Paul will address in this letter what was happening to those who died in Christ and Jesus' second coming. He's filling in the gaps. I wonder as you read through 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 3, you could be forgiven to think, couldn't you, that these people are wonderful, <laughs> that they're great, that they're doing so well in their Christian faith, their love for God and others, and they were. Yet Paul is like a spiritual father. There is gaps. Mind the gaps. And he prays to God that they can, he can come along and supply what is lacking in their teaching and modeling of the Christian faith. This supplying what is lacking in their faith got me thinking about minding the gaps in our own faith. Have you ever thought about that? Because you could be in Bloomfield here for the last number of years and think that you are some special case when it comes to faith. 
These were young believers, no doubt about it. But I wonder how many mind the gaps we have in our Christian faith. Folks, I've had the privilege of doing a three-year theology degree. I get the immense joy of reading and studying and the scriptures on a weekly and daily basis as part of my vocation and work. But you know something? There are gaps in my faith. There are parts that need supplying, as it were. What about you? Where do you feel there are gaps in your Christian faith? Do you feel that there are any? The worst attitude you could have this morning is that you feel arrogant, puffed up about the most things. I've sorted most of my issues with Christian faith. For many, if you've been a Christian for many years, that is the default that sometimes we fall into, that there are no gaps. There are no gaps in our understanding of our Christian faith and knowledge and our application of it. The way we live our lives will show whether there's gaps. And here the the Apostle Paul comes and he prays, Lord, let me see them so that I can supply the gaps, so I can fill in their faith so that they will grow more and more. Folks, do you see the desire of Paul? It is that they would grow not just on a superficial level, but that there would be a depth and a width and a breadth to their Christian faith. And folks, the same is true for us. This is a beautiful prayer. Lord, help us with the gaps. Seek to know God's word. What is the Bible's teaching about your particular work context? If you're in psychology, sociology, does scripture have anything to say about your work? Most of us will come with a framework and it is secular. What's a biblical framework on it? What's it mean to be a Christian husband or wife? Or do you just take it for granted? Ah, be nice. It is more than that, isn't it? How does the Christian faith work when things go wrong? When there's sickness? When there's relationship breakdown? What are some of the ethical responses to different things that happen? Do we know those things? Because Paul is coming here, and if he had these for the rest of his life, he would be supplying and and increasing their knowledge and love of God through the Word, through teaching them that this makes an impact. Paul's desire was to see these Christians mature and grow for the rest of their lives. He wanted to see them again in order to supply what was lacking in their faith. And in verse 11, he prays that God would clear the way for it. It is more than likely that Paul returned. If you get time this afternoon, look up Acts chapter 20, because at the very end of it, it says that he decided to go back through Macedonia. And one wonders, did Paul get the opportunity to return to Macedonia and see these folk? Because he prays it, and Acts 20 is a passage to look at. Paul finishes then in verses 12 and 13 by praying for two things. The first is in verse 12, where he says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. I don't know if you saw the news a couple of weeks ago. I I was pretty impressed with this, but Prince Charles and Camilla were in Kilkenny City in my home. Well, I live 10 miles from Kilkenny City. And Prince Charles had a go at hitting a slitter with a hurley. I don't know if you saw it in the news. He did a good job, actually. His grip is all wrong, though. That's that's a hockey grip, as a matter of interest. But he he came, and he, he gave it a good old smack. And the background is Kilkenny Castle, actually. Well, if you ever get a chance to visit Kilkenny City and, it's, and the castle, be sure to go around the front of the castle because there you'll see this picture, which is the Rose Garden. And in the middle of the Rose Garden is a water fountain. And sometimes during the summer, this water fountain can be quite pathetic in the sense of it just spits, all right? But then in full thrust, 
when it is working, it increases and it overflows to the point where the water will come out onto the, onto the grounds over the fountain itself. And that is what Paul prays for that imagery is the same idea here in verse 12, that Paul says to the Lord, may your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. See, if you read chapter one, you'd be thinking, these, are, these people love God, they love others, they're being praised for it. But you see, Paul wants them to go deeper and further. And so he asks God, he says, may the Lord increase your love and overflow it for each other and for one another. A love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is a God-given love, put in the heart by God. Why else would such a diverse people, so different backgrounds, be united and love one another? And Paul's prayer is that the Lord would increase and overflow that love for each other. Folks, is this our prayer? Because if we need things to pray for, this is God's word teaching us how to pray. Pray this prayer. Is it a prayer for each other today at Bloomfield? History, past hurts, remarks, comments have left, can often leave a cold indifference for one another, even a disdain. Paul's prayer is, Lord, increase and overflow their love for each other. Perhaps this is a struggle for you. Could it be that this is one of our gaps in our Christian faith, that you thought it was okay to be in this fellowship, in this church, and think, I'll stay this side, she'll stay over on that side, and we'll be fine. Do you think Paul would tolerate that? Do you think God would tolerate that when he prays, Lord, increase and overflow their love for one another? Perhaps this is one of the things. Thinking, Lord, I don't have to love this person. Pray for them. Pray for their own, your own heart as a starting point and allow God to shape you, your attitude with his love so that it would increase and overflow for others. And probably he's referring here to everyone else as those outside of the church. What a lovely prayer that would be. We have to begin within, and then it will flow out as well to the outsider as well. God, Paul's prayer is that their love would increase and overflow for one another. And then lastly, in verse 13, Paul prays that their hearts would be strengthened so that they would be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Here is a prayer for ongoing, what we would call sanctification, growth in the Christian faith. You need to understand this verse in this way. When a person is forgiven and brought into new life in Christ, you're declared righteous before God. It is a legal term and standing, just as if you were in court and it says they're innocent. You're declared righteous. So that's one type, which is called justification. You're made right with God. And we are made right by him, not by our own good efforts or what we can bring to the table, but we're made righteous because Jesus gives us his obedience, perfection, and goodness, Christ's righteousness. And what this means is that before God, you and I stand in Christ's righteousness for our justification before him. Isn't that wonderful today? If you think about the amount of sins that you did this morning, the amount of bad thoughts this week, the amount of things that you have done, and God says you are made right before me through Christ. You're justified. You stand in his goodness, his righteousness, his perfection. That is where you legally stand with God. And yet, when we're justified by God, Paul here is praying for the Christians to be sanctified. 
which is this ongoing, present, continuous process where God is changing us, shaping us. As Stott said, it is a process that will be perfected when he returns. Sanctification is the work of God through his Spirit in the believer's life. Obedience is a key component of this process. And here it is that Paul prays, I want their love to increase and overflow, but I want them to grow in holiness and sanctification. He prays that here, that those who are holy and blameless in God's sight would live out that righteous standing in every day until Jesus comes. This holy living needs God's enabling. And that is why Paul asked that God would strengthen them to live this out. I love the way Beale in his commentary puts this. He sees it like this. He says, the badge is an outward emblem of demonstrating that one has truly believed in the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus, which makes one blameless in God's sight. And so the outward acts is living out what is a reality of our standing before God. Living a life that is blameless and holy is like wearing a badge. The badge represents something. For the Christian, holiness is a badge for what God has done inside your heart and life, and you're living it out for what he has done. And that's what Paul wants to see. What a prayer this is for ourselves, for our children, for our teenagers, for every generation, that God would strengthen us so that we will be blameless and holy in the presence of Jesus when he comes. God has committed to it. He is committed to making you holy. He is committing to shaping and molding and sanctifying you. Your obedience is required to move with the Spirit. That is why Paul could say, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As as you think about your Christian life this morning, what does holiness and blamelessness look like? Is there things that God has been highlighting that are wrong, that need to be dealt with? Because a great motivating factor in this is he's with you in this. And one day he's going to return. And that perfecting, that sanctifying work will be perfected. Paul prays, he looks to God to supply and provide all that we need in spiritual maturity. And in this prayer, he sees that our love for each other needs to increase and overflow And our life with God needs to be seen in how we live for one another. Folks, if we go away this morning thinking, I'm going to try and do this, we need God's help. That's why Paul prays, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, may he help you as you try to love and over-increase and overflow for love for others. May he help you as you try to live blameless and holy lives. Only God can help us in this task so that he may be praised. Let me continue in prayer. Let's pray. Father, there is a depth here that we are grappling to understand. And yet, Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the desire that Paul had for these Christians, that they would grow in love and overflow in their love for each other that, Lord, they will be strengthened so that they would walk blameless and holy lives. And, Father, we thank you that Paul's desire is just ultimately a reflection of your desire for your people. Father, help us as we seek to love each other. Help us, Lord, as we seek to live 
out our standing before you in holiness and blamelessness. Lord, who can stand before you? And so, Lord, we thank you that you are committed to transforming and changing your people. And Father, we thank you for all that you give us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, your word, the fellowship of your people. And we pray that we would indeed, Lord, be prayerful as we seek you, as we're dependent on you for these changes and this transformation that only the gospel can bring. Lord, help us to desire this for ourselves and for others. And Lord, enable us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.